nice to see some faces. These are all very nice, kind faces, aren't they? Um, this morning, we are kid wrangling and pastoring, so we'll see how that works out. Um, and we're also going to sit with a passage of Scripture that we've sat with a few weeks ago. So <clears throat> if you're here for that, we might have taken some of our anger out on it and taken some of the sting out of it already, and so hopefully it's a little kinder than it has been. Um, and we're also going to talk with my friend Frosty, because he's here, and why not? Um, maybe we will pray to start. Uh, loving God, you are kind, and we are here, and you are here too. We ask that you would teach us how to be together um, in kind ways that reflect you. Amen. Amen. Uh, would anyone like to read our passage this morning? It's quite small because there's, there's a bit of it, but um, if someone's got good eyesight and confidence uh, and reading ability, then we will select you for such a task. Does anyone want to be our reader this morning? Please don't stampede for the microphone. I, I really don't like when um, there's squabbles breaking out. If then there is any comfort in Christ, any consolation from love, any partnership in the Spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility regard each other as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name given to Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the motherly Father. Thank you so much. You've done that for the year now. You don't need to read your Bible again. Lovely. So we have been sitting with Philippians, and this is the end of our little Philippians chat. Uh, and as for lots of our series, our uh, approach ended up wrestling with some of the um, difficult bits. Or oh, do you want to sit in the chair? Is that a bit easier? Or you just want to stand with me? Yeah, so I didn't warn you that I was going to go wandering around, did I? I told you I was going to be up here the whole time. Um, and part of what we've found ourselves doing, um, we, as we approached Philippians, it became evident that uh, quite a few of our community break out in hives when we start talking about Paul. 
<laughs> for fairly good reason. Uh, so we've spent a fair bit of our time kind of just negotiating our relationship with Paul and trying to understand Paul better and where Paul's coming from um, and blunt some of the edges uh, and trying to give some context, which might explain what is a very, very intense man in a very, very intense set of circumstances who has an intense background. Um, and Rod helpfully suggested that uh, one way of viewing Paul is as a former terrorist <laughs> who was enthusiastically killing one side uh, and then had a mystical experience and decided that those people shouldn't be killed and took their side. Uh, and that didn't necessarily lower any of Paul's intensity. Uh, so Paul was dragging Christians to their death uh, and then had an encounter with Jesus and then decided that that perhaps wasn't the best uh, life choice, and then enthusiastically defended them and tried to form communities of um, Jesus' followers. And so um, what the, one of the ways we've been framing Philippians is, so Paul's in jail in Rome, writing a letter to a community that he doesn't really know kind of how it's going, other than hearing, like, getting drip-fed information back and forth. Uh, and he's worried about them. He's concerned because other people are coming in trying to change the direction of the community or break up the community or tell the community that um, this isn't the way you follow Jesus. And um, he's worried for them. And so he sends, uh, this is one of his kinder letters. Uh, it's, it's a pretty kind one. It's got lots of enthusiasm and joy and things in it and kindness as well. But he's basically... Um, trying to work out ways of keeping that community together and keeping that community acting in a way that reflects the Jesus that he has encountered and they have encountered too. And so one of the ways we frame this is talking about that this letter is more about community formation than about personal transformation. And so he talks a bit about changing attitudes and acting in different ways and that kind of thing. And now context, it's really easy because we're used to TED Talks and motivational speakers and all kinds of things, to think that Paul's kind of end goal is just about making the people in the Philippi community, you know, better people making better choices. But he's actually got other concerns, which is this is a fragile and vulnerable community living incredibly counterculturally, living really dangerously in lots of ways because they're breaking lots of the rules of society. Um, and he's worried for them that unless they learn how not to be dicks to each other, then they'll all break apart and this whole thing of following Jesus and, and this kind of inclusive community of um, statuslessness will break down and everyone will just fall back into their old ways of lording stuff over each other um, and that slaves will never have a chance of finding equality with masters and so on and so forth. So Paul's actually like quite wound up about this whole thing because he's actually really, really worried. And this little piece here, um, is a bit where it's just basically going like, some of you are trying to dominate others, and instead of doing that, um, maybe you should more reflect the one that we follow who had every um, capability of dominating, <laughs> but chose instead to give himself over and empty himself of privilege for others. And as we talked a few weeks ago, sometimes this passage gets used to keep people without power in their place by saying you should be humble and stop asserting yourselves so that people like me um, can be in charge. But actually this is kind of direct, is directed in another direction, which is to say that those of you who have got status and power um, should maybe think about giving some of that up. So um, we are going to chat today with my friend Frosty, who some of you know from years gone by and some of you are fresher faces. Um, We've been friends for, I don't know, probably about 15 years now, 
something like that. Yep. Uh, he didn't invite me to, my, to his wedding, which I think is very rude, um, despite the fact that we're best friends. I didn't know him at the time, but I knew him soon afterwards um, and still was not invited. Uh, but other than that, we've shared a fair, a fair roller coaster of a ride <laughs> together over the last bunch of years. Um, uh, Frosty uh, is one of New Zealand's foremost Pentecostal theologians. Um, I just like to point that out because that's how he demands he be known. Um, <laughs> He's very enthusiastic about Pentecostalism, um, and, <laughs> and uh, he also helps lead a community called Edge, um, and that's actually what we're going to be talking about today. We thought of like 8,000 things. Frosty and I talk a lot, uh, and we talk about a lot of really boring theological things. Uh, that's kind of where we go. We're both kind of recovering megachurch or megachurch-inspiring um, survivors as well, so we end up talking a lot about that. We accidentally ended up talking about that on his podcast, um, which he's been doing for a while, because what the world needs is more cishet white guys talking on podcasts. We thought there's a real niche there, so we jumped at that uh, <laughs> and have got ourselves into a bit of trouble talking about um, why churches should stop harming people. Um, apparently not everyone's really on board with that. Um, <laughs> Apparently, if they're doing enough good things, they should be allowed to harm as many people as they like, and should, people should just learn that, you know, sometimes it takes a few dozen eggs to get cracked to make a really delicious omelette. A pretty good, good Jesus-y omelette requires a few eggs to get cracked and lives to be ruined. So, so that's been fun. So we can catch you up about that later on another time. Uh, yeah, so, but what we actually decided to talk about today is about community formation because uh, Frosty um, helps uh, co-pastor a community which has got really strong parallels to ours um, in New Zealand. So I thought it'd be interesting to get another perspective on what that is like and what some of those challenges are and opportunities and stuff. So yeah, this is Frosty. You don't need to clap because we don't ever really do, but you can if you want. Oh, please, you, sh- you shouldn't have, yeah. I see you estimated my height. <laughs> yes, right. we got your height just about right. Good. Um, we only have one stool, and it's got some masking tape on it. Would you like the stool, or is it going to be a distraction? Oh, where are instructions for this one? This one even on. Turned it on now. We're the, uh, we're the Church of um, Seamless Transitions. That's one of our taglines, so. Um, are you all right up there? He just here? No, yeah, you feel okay? Yeah. With me right. down here. I mean, I suppose. I like the power, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure whether you have the seat of authority or I get the height advantage, but either way, we'll keep you in line. Um, yeah, so maybe you could give us a little bit of background about the community that you are in now. Um, I think I've already said that you're a megachurch escapee. Um, not that they're all bad, but your one was. <laughs> so, not quite bad. <laughs> Uh, yes, hello. Um, nice to be here. Let me, yes. I, I did escape many, uh, well, 12 or 13 years ago and, and sort of stumbled into a, into a church that at the time I think was enjoying being the place where all of the people who escaped went. Um, and there were quite a few of us and it was quite... It was, it, it was becoming its own kind of mini-mega based on not being a mega, you know? And, uh, and had kind of been grounded in some, I guess, some sort of old-school charismatic stuff along with a lot of creativity. Uh, and we were kind of... So I stumbled into that church. And in many places, ways, it was kind of like a, 
a recognizable thing for me, like there was enough that was familiar about it to make it feel like it still felt like a church, but then... It did have really, really good music. It had really good music. But then... Um, I'm just getting some water. Oh, okay. You're fine by yourself. You'll be okay. <clears throat> okay, now that he's gone... <laughs> uh, so, so there was enough that was familiar about it, but then every time I started to, to um, have a panic attack or, or some anxiety, uh, there would be something sort of normal about it enough to make me feel like I could tolerate being there, and that was kind of what it was like initially. Um, over the years, what's happened with, with our community is that the, the whole community really has gone on a, a process of, of um, I suppose, deconstruction is kind of the word, even though it's, it's maybe not the right word to describe everybody's experience, but certainly a journey of rethinking a bunch of stuff. Um, what we discovered was that hating the place you came from wasn't really enough to build a community with. <laughs> um, and so then you've got to go through the, the hard, slow work of figuring out, okay, then, once we've all shared our terrible stories, um, what do we do? And do we even want the same thing? And if we don't, what do we do about that? And so once we entered into that part of the journey and, and realised that we had to pull apart some pretty harmful beliefs as well as recognising some of the harmful actions, then the church has gone through its own process of, of now being a, a much um, smaller um, community that's in a, in a very different kind of space than what it used to be. It's no longer the sort of the, the place to go, which is kind of great, because when the church kind of becomes the place to go, then usually it becomes a bit terrible after that. Um, so, so yeah, we're, we're, in a, we're in a community that... Um, is full of people rethinking things, rethinking their own experience, still trying to figure out if they like church or not, or if they like God or even think there is one, um, and, and journeying together through that. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's been a, like a, a really rich journey in many respects. Um, and then we hit COVID. I say rich, it's also been hard. There's lots that's hard about that. Uh, and, then, and then COVID, obviously, I don't need to tell you here in Melbourne that that's been a bit of a thing. You all know that more than, um, more than I do, probably. How many lockdowns did you have? Quite a few. Um, <clears throat> so, so that's been another disruptive force in terms of what it is to, like, in, in this context, I guess, think about forming community together. Um, and so now we're sort of at a point where we've got a, we've got a community who... We're enjoying questioning and figuring things out and trying to reform together whilst also being incredibly exhausted and kind of anxious and wondering if the world is about to end. So um, that's a really interesting space to kind of be, to be at work trying to carefully and, and kindly curate community. That's, that's a summary. That's really lovely. Does anyone have any questions about that bit before we go on to the next bit? Oh, you did a pretty good job explaining. That's nice. Or people are terrified of you. Oh, no, this guy does. Hello, sir. Frosty, that's interesting, mate. Um, a bunch of people getting together to not deconstruct, but to actually figure out what they believe now. What then becomes your core? What, what do you stand on to, to say, this is, where we, this, is, this is where we question from? I guess what I'm saying is, is what, what, what's the core of your theology that you've been able to hold on to in all that mess? Um, great question. And a question that we've, I think, contemplated a bit because, yeah, I think the kind of context that many people have come from 
and then reacted to has been one in which they've been told these are all the core things you must believe, and if you don't believe these things, you're, you're, um, you're out, or you should be. And so <clears throat> I think the answer to that question actually takes time, because I think if you answer that question too quickly, um, and in a sense, kind of what can we be sure about is, is almost <laughs> maybe the wrong question sometimes. It's, but, but there is something that holds us together. So what is it that holds us together? And I think one of the things that we've been talking about recently is that actually in many respects it's our practices rather than our beliefs that hold us together. Now the practices are informed and shaped by a tradition that we are a part of. And so obviously um, we are endeavoring to follow Jesus, whatever that means. Right? But that doesn't require everybody believing exactly the same thing about um, Jesus in order to participate together and how can our lives be shaped by that story. Um, and so practices of Eucharist or, or practices of, of embrace or, you know, practices of embrace, that sounds intimate. We had to practice embracing because I was a hugger and you weren't. And so we did a fair bit of practicing. That's true. Embrace. You went through a phase of kissing me on the cheek when you saw me, but I think you backed off that one. Your beard got too rough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get tangled up in there. Mm, got know, lost a couple of times. Um, what other practices in your community like? So, so yeah, we've I suppose been been starting to think about how how is it that it's it's almost what we do together and also in our lives that informs what what is common to us rather than exactly what we believe. So whether that's yeah that the the, the practice of Eucharist which becomes central and has kind of has become the central symbol for us of. Of, of an That's open communion table. for Commun- some of you. Oh, communion, yeah. yes. Um, or Jesus juice to my children. <clears throat> I see one of your children's already indulged a bit. Yeah, there's a few bits missing. Um, we also do some other, I guess, integrate practices together. So whether that's like spiritual practices such as um, lectio divina, or which is a kind of a particularly meditative reading of scripture, or um, or certain kind of grounding exercises that we do together. What we recognize in some ways, I suppose, and we're still figuring this out, is that regardless of all of the different circumstances that we, are, we find ourselves in as people when we gather together, um, we are experiencing a common moment mm. of, of heightened anxiety and pressure and exhaustion and uncertainty. And so finding those practices that ground us in a different story, um, you know, like that first song that we sung um, this morning, as kind of a, a grounding, centering practice in a sense because it's offering us a different story mm. about a place where we don't owe anything except to love and to whatever the rest of it said. Um, that's in itself kind of entering into or inhabiting a different way of seeing ourselves and what it is to be human. And so um, I guess we're thinking about things in, in, th- in those terms rather than kind of reciting the Apostles' Creed together. <laughs> That's really beautiful. Um, your community is in Auckland and mm. quite a big city as well, but like kind of in lots of ways more spread out because mm. it's too hilly to ride everywhere and there's no public transport. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> your congregation's probably a bit more spread out than ours um, in lots of ways. Like what are, what are some of the challenges of, you know, obviously COVID threw some spanners and works as well, which could be highlighted a bit. What makes forming community hard where you are? Yeah, it's interesting to think about it because I think there are, it almost feels like the, the option that, that a lot of 
churches take up in terms of community formation is just to make church the most intense, exciting, powerful thing that there is in your life so that, you know, and this is the kind of the mega church experience that I came from, where, where the church, as a way of surviving in the present day, simply had to become the most exciting thing ever so that people would participate in it. And you could actually become its own kind of subculture that you could exist almost entirely within. And so all of your friends are within that space, all of your connections and, and all of that kind of stuff. I think the reason that that kind of is an attractive way to do things is because when you stop sort of pursuing the um, excitement machine of, of church, which ultimately ends up, I think, sort of harming people in the process. Um, but once you stop pursuing that, then you're left with trying to figure out how to actually form real community with each other in a time and a place where real community is, is incredibly difficult. Mm. Um, and, yeah, and then when people are spread out, it makes it more difficult. I mm. mean, um, Auckland is one of the most spread out cities in, in the world, I think, for its population density. And so, um, I th yeah, I think one of the things that happens is that for many of our people, we really like the idea of being uh, a community that is formed together. But in real terms, um, when you've got this much energy to give to that kind of thing because of how demanding your life has been in recent times and how much kind of the wider cultural pressures force you to keep up a very demanding life, then I guess my recognition is, is that community formation is very slow work because um, everybody's margins are so slim. And if you're not bumping into your, friend, you know, your friends from church um, three times a week because you all live in the same neighborhood, then how do you even talk about what it is to, to form community together? And so we've had I'm, to rethink I mean, that as a, well. That's a really interesting like, cultural mm. moment, <laughs> to use a bad expression. But like that for most of history, community has just been about the people that you live around like that's mm -hmm. and whether you like them or not that's that just is your community mm -hmm. that you're present with and now there's so much more choice in terms of community but it also so many of the things that used to make community happen just don't, doesn't happen automatically anymore like you're unlikely to run into the same people over and over again you're unlikely to even trade with the same people like this so our lives are so much more about intentionality and choice um, but that comes, that's a hurdle in itself. Yeah, and even if you were to try and form a church community based on the people in your neighbourhood, there's a reasonable chance that in the next 12 months, 50% of those people will move out of your neighbourhood to a different one, mm. um, but still want to travel to connect. So even if you tried to start with a very local thing, mm. um, it wouldn't end up that way very quickly. And so, you know, one of the questions we've been asking is how do we then take the time that we are together and rather than seeing that as some kind of idealistic um, New Testament community where we're all going to deeply form and shape each other's lives, that's probably not very realistic, actually, in the kind of community we have. So how can we, in the time that we do have together, um, hear a different like, version of events of, our, of, of what it is to be us, um, practice together being those kinds of people um, in a way that might help us navigate and cultivate healthier community in the remainder of our lives. And so I suppose our, our gathering is not the community in which we inhabit. It's simply, for most of our people, and I'm going to imagine it's similar here, it's one 
community, among many communities that you have in your life. Um, you have communities of friends, and sometimes even then, you have the different pockets of friends that don't actually know each other, so you've got different communities of friends, then you've got your work community, your perhaps your family community, um, your online community, your church community, and so whereas perhaps historically church communities have been one of the dominant ways in which people feel connected to the world, for most of our people it's now one, yeah. one little piece of, of that sense of feeling networked. The challenge to that is sometimes with lots of communities, you don't feel deeply attached to any one of them in particular, and so you can have loads more connections but feel much more alone. And so, and so our time together is, is in many respects about trying to figure out how to, be, how to be humans that can form healthy relationships with each other, and thereby community formation isn't just about us, it's about uh, the wider places we find ourselves, I guess. Hey. Any questions about that? <laughs> oh, there's one. I see, I see a hand. Oh, thanks, Rod. Um, thanks, Rusty. Um, the work that you were just describing sounds like incredibly vulnerable and um, showing up work. In almost some ways, it sounds like group therapy, you know, <laughs> practicing being human together. Um, I'm sort of curious, what are some of the ways that you uh, try and make it a safe place for people to be vulnerable? What have been some of the challenges around that? Yeah, like how do you make sure that the people... Um, yeah, that individuals, I guess, can show up to the work knowing that their experience will be held safely. Yeah. Um, it is slow, I'd say that. You know, I think, like, often what we find is that the things that all of us want, we also don't want. So we all want a place to come and be vulnerable, but none of us actually want... I think we like the idea of it, you know, being vulnerable together but sort of actually being vulnerable together is very different <laughs> um, and quite scary and not necessarily something we want to do. Um, and so I think we have to be quite patient in, and just, again, can, and, 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 and not sort of defining ahead of time what everybody's version of that will be. So I think one of the things that sometimes happens, especially when you're involved in kind of trying to lead or, or shape communities, is that you decide for everybody what, what vulnerability will look like for them or what healthy humanness will look like for them. And then you try to make everybody do that and everybody runs out of the door screaming. Um, <laughs> Except for the three people who are also like you and very enthusiastic. Yeah, about yeah, that yeah, that's right. So, so part of it involves hearing, I think, from the people in the community. Um, and, and, you know, we've certainly by no means got this sorted out. I don't think it's still a, it's still a work in progress for us. Of, of the way in which we talk... Um, that tries to create a space where people feel like their full selves are welcome and their full selves are, are affirmed for who they are. Um, one of the even really just silly things, well, it's not silly, it's just very simple that even in the way that we communicate, and I'm, I'm sure it's sort of the kind of thing that would happen in this space, is just the language of we rather than the language of you that comes from those who share, <laughs> um, which might seem like, sound like almost a non-thing, except that's made a huge difference to the way in which people experience coming together, because um, for most people who come into the, our space, um, the language they've heard in church is, 
you should be, um, you need to, what you need to realize is, um, and the word of God for you today, and, um, and that actually creates over time, I think, a sense of being quite unsafe to be seen, because you're telling me exactly what version of myself I'm supposed to be here. Um, and so, and just, just even the simple modification of language of we, um, that, oh, that becomes much more invitational. What we are together invited to consider in this moment is, um, yeah, I, I don't know if that's really answering the question, but there's, there's I guess, lots of, little, lots of little things that we're continuing to work through and play with. One of the things, you know, that I think sometimes we, we get idealistic about it, and we think what everyone would love to do is to break up into groups and share with each other. And, and actually what you find is what everyone would not love to do is that. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes people are stumbling in the door and just want to sit and be invisible. And that's what they actually need at that time. And so, so yeah, the work that we do together sometimes is just actually allowing people to be in a way that no other space in their life allows them to be. You know, so, um, so yeah, there's no one answer, I suppose, to, to that question. Mm. That's really beautiful. Um, we'll maybe we'll just quickly talk about Philippians because this is our series, um, and we can talk all day and we'll run out of time. Um, yes. But you know, like uh, a letter like Philippians is obviously to a very different context than ours. But what are some ways that you, as you sit with the text, because I made you this weekend, um, not because you're not in it every day. Um, about what, like, what do you think this might have to say to us? Um, again, not from a kind of um, ideal down, but from a, a community like ours who is also struggling to exist and work out what it was to follow Jesus. Like, what richness do you find in here? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that happens when I read something like Paul, and in particular like Philippians, is um, I guess it comes back to the kind of the way, the way we read it. And um, what tends to happen sometimes is kind of a universalizing of it so that whatever Paul says and all of the conclusions he reaches must be applied everywhere to everybody equally. And so because he's big on being a, a chief of sinners, we have to remind our, you know, our, our under fives that they also are the chief of sinners. They you are know. worms. Um, yeah. <clears throat> this kind of abstract application of everything that he says in ways that don't make a lot of sense. Whereas I suppose even something like you know, his, his call to like humility in this passage Yep, still there. Um, is is grounded in a context in which the status system in, in the Greco-Roman world is, you know, is very rigid and very defined in certain ways, and that's a context we don't find ourselves in. And sure, there are ways in which status and stuff still play out very much so mm. in our context. But I think interestingly, like actually taking the, I'm interested often in what Paul's trying to do rather than what he actually does sometimes. Mm. What, what he's trying to do is like grapple with how this Jesus story might inform and, 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 and you know, help us to figure out how to be more human with one another. Mm. Um, I don't always think he, you know, I'm not always going to land in exactly the same place as him on all the or things. Or would you go about it the same way, yeah. Or, yeah, but I'm interested in what he's trying to do there and the fact that the kind of this, this sense of humility or self-giving is so central to his understanding of the Jesus story um, still, I guess, means a lot to me. Mm. And it means that in our context, you know, we, yeah, we've done some work, I think, on on pulling apart the hierarchies of, of kind of, of church life that many people have experienced and, and looking for more collaboration and more working together. But also, I think... Perhaps more than that, 
It's like taking something like humility and allowing that to challenge our sense of, um, I'm fine, thank you, I don't need you, mm. which is kind of like the, 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 the mantra of modern life. Mm. I'm fine, thanks, I don't need you, I'll, be, I'll do it myself. Mm. Um, and whether that's kind of fix myself mm. or push myself forward or whatever it is, and so there's something about humility in our context that might be acknowledging that we still need one another. Mm. And that self-sufficiency might not be the end goal yeah, of everything. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And like self-sufficiency is a really understandable um, safety mechanism for us mm. because it, it helps us feel protected from people who might invade our mm. space or our lives but I also think there's, there's something in terms of community formation over time that does invite us to reflect on how we actually need each other and not just how maybe um, I need you, but how you might need me in some kind of way mm-hmm. at some point. And so even in those seasons of life where I feel like I might be able to do quite fine without a community like this, um, kind of realizing that, again, if this is not just about my personal sort of growth, but is in fact about how we cultivate community with one another, then there might be seasons where people need me. Um, and there will definitely, even if I'm okay right now, be seasons where, where I need them. And there's not many spaces in, in life, perhaps, where that sense of giving up self-sufficiency and acknowledging need is actually encouraged or seen as a virtue rather than as a, um, yeah. a weakness. And especially over the long form, like a mm. long form of community rather than a weekend away. Yeah, yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, I think like some of the other things that, that come through this whole letter actually is, is, is Paul's writing from this very, you know, very difficult situation that he finds himself in. And... Um, he writes about joy and he writes about gentleness and he writes about peace while he's kind of languishing in this prison. Um, and sometimes I'm like, is he just sort of, you know, overdoing it a bit? Is he in a bit of denial? Could he do with a bit more honesty about his life? Um, and maybe. Um, but, but I'm also kind of struck by, um, by being shaped by that kind of mentality in ways that don't um, ask me to deny the hard stuff that I might be going through, and I feel like the last three years is kind of like wading through shit a little bit. Um, but in fact, reminds me that even when things are incredibly shaky, foggy, uh, murky, whatever the whatever the metaphor of choice you might want to describe the parts of your life where you're you're kind of in in the mire. Um, oh, we even found a way to get your name in Sorry there. Sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> is that still present with us is, um, you know, the, the, if God is present in and through all things, then there is still a, uh, an invitation to tune into where gentleness and peace and joy might be present. Um, and that's something as a, as a melancholic sort of introverted um, 
recovering kind of triumphalist who used to try and pretend that everything was the best ever and was only going to get better and then had quite a few years of being like, you know what, screw that. Everything's not the best and it's all getting worse. And that's just how it is. So suck it up. Um, <laughs> not suck it up. But no I, spent, no, I spent a lot of years like tuning into like pain and anguish as like an antidote to the hyper positivity I'd experienced. I had to kind of, I had to allow myself to feel the, the, the shadow of, all, of, of my life because I'd been trained for so long to ignore it and suppress it. And just actually at the start of this year, I found myself coming back to, you know what, it is also okay to experience like moments of joy. And it is actually okay to, to cultivate peace and kindness and, and gentleness um, in ways that might actually be affirming of life. And, um, and so even as we work together as, as a community and trying to figure out how to, how to be together and how to kind of shape one another's lives in healthy ways, um, asking ourselves again, how can those um, invitations to, to peace, how can those invitations to joy still be something that we, again, slowly work out together um, in ways that can be really meaningful. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm. I remember one of my New Testament lecturers just saying something helpful once. They did it, they did occasionally. But just saying, just about how many of the letters are just sent to beaten down, bedraggled communities of mm. primarily slaves who are going out into an uncertain, harsh and brutal world. And what these gatherings were really trying to do was remind them that they were loved and okay. Um, and give them as much kindness as possible to be able to enjoy, endure what they were facing as they went out. And I think it's, yeah, as fun as cynicism is, I think we've got a, a, an important role to play there as well. Yeah, I think about my, like, my own experience of, <clears throat> of, there was a period of time about sort of, just a period, uh, about nine years. Um, <laughs> oh, there, there was a bunch of stuff that kind of happened for us, like personally, where um, my wife's best friend died and we were going through like, fertility journey and loss and uncertainty around all of that kind of stuff. And when you're experiencing real pain, you suddenly realise how harsh the world, like just living can be and how harsh people's words can be and how, um, how unkind our day-to-day lives can feel. And I became so much more grateful for kind words in that season of, of, of life. Um, and that has, I suppose, taught me something about, um, yeah, what kind of, as much as I might want to um, <laughs> just cultivate my, my and a healthy dose of cynicism never goes, never goes wrong, in my opinion. But, um, but actually cultivate, yeah, like practicing kindness um, has made a big difference to me, both in the kindness that I've received, and I think now, and that's reshaped the way that I see myself, the way that I see life in community. Mm. Um, I often find myself thinking, whenever I'm talking, you know, how is how is the person who's in real pain right now experiencing what I have to say? Mm. Um, and that's not to say that I have to caveat everything I ever say with with a thousand caveats, but simply to say kindness is, again, slow, gentle work that can transform like, um, or form community mm. among us. If we can learn how to be kind to each other, like, that's, a, that's a thing, that's a whole thing in itself. That, that would be enough, just about, you know.
Thank you. That's really beautiful. I think um, I'm going to get stares if we go much longer. So um, thanks. I really appreciate that. That's really lovely.